The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence with us, especially when the winds are against us. We ask that you would walk with us this day and all days, that your peace and presence would be felt. Amen. I want to start with the Old Testament reading here. There are a number of things in the story that I think are significant that we forget. It's interesting to me the number of memories that I have about these stories that aren't true when I read them through. They've just been just kind of conjured up in my mind. Like to begin with, Joseph, I always pictured him as a young boy, maybe 12, 13 years old, but he's 17, 18 in the story. He's a young man. He's ready to set out. And then, of course, the most egregious of translational errors the multicolored jacket that's now translated simply as jacket with sleeves. (laughs) Just doesn't sound anywhere near as dynamic, except when you look into it a little bit, it's a, a vestment that certainly would have been much harder to make, would have been very fancy to have sleeves on it. It also is not the kind of garment that one can do manual labor wearing. It's kind of a curious image. If you can picture all of those comedic sketches where some man in a sport coat that's just a little too small reaches down to get something and splits it right through the back, that's kind of the image in some ways. Somebody who is unaccustomed to working hard over against the brothers who are working hard. (laughs) And therein lies the rub. Now, we had a couple weeks ago the two maids. Actually, I think it was, yeah, two weeks ago. We had the two maids that went off with Jacob following his wives, Rachel and, and 
Leah, older sister. So as they were heading out, the, the father, Laban, sends the two maids with. Well, the maids now are wives also. The story, the plot gets thickened, as it were. And suddenly now we have all of these sons. They're most certainly daughters as well, but we don't get their names in this story. Twelve of them eventually, all together. But they're all off working. And now this is where it starts to get interesting because we're missing parts of the story. Whenever you see in the text when they're listed that there are verses skipped, the first question we want to know is why were they skipped? What was there? In the verses in the middle are the stories of Joseph when he's dreaming. He's dreaming about the sheaves of wheat in the field and how he's in the center and all of the others will bow down to him. Something that older brothers really love to hear from younger brothers. Yeah, I'll show you bowing down. (laughs) And we get all of these dreams and images that just set the stage for him being set apart. So the brothers are off with the flocks. They're many miles away. This would have taken quite a while to travel to this place. Just calling out, where am I going? You get a sense of that in the text. There's no GPS. There's no knowing where they went, no map. You simply went off towards this town and people would come to you in the field and say, who are you looking for? Oh, I think they went that way. And you would head off. The brothers saw him coming. They could see in advance. And the one brother I'd like to focus on a little bit is the one that we don't get the whole story here, but is the brother Reuben. Reuben is the oldest son. He is the one responsible. And he understands what his brothers want to do, and Joseph probably wasn't his favorite either. But he also knew that he was in charge and that Joseph was his father's favorite. And there he was in his care. There's that sense of hospitality, if nothing else. And Joseph shows up. They're scheming what they're going to do with him. They throw him into a pit, into a well, in a sense. Fortunately, one that was dry. The part that we're missing, though, is why Reuben does this. Reuben says, no, let's not hurt him. Let's put him in the pit when the Ishmaelites come by, right? Ishmael. Ishmael, the long-lost uncle in the story whose mother was an Egyptian. And so the Ishmaelites that are trading down towards Egypt are coming by. And the brothers decide to put him in the pit, and he is taken. The very next verses that we get after this reading are Reuben circling back without his brother's knowledge to rescue Joseph from the pit and finding the pit empty. He returns to his brothers, and his first question is, where can I go? He's the one responsible. He has to go home and talk to his father. And we know the story of Joseph, and we're going to hear about that in weeks to come. We got a piece of it in the psalm today as he goes down to Egypt, the famine, and the brothers who years later come back groveling for food. It's a powerful story of family, And the challenges that we as human beings always face, the jealousies, the hard spots, the brothers who ask, well, sure, we can kill him, but how are we going to make any money off of that? (laughs) 
And so they come up with this scheme, this angst about their financial well-being, perhaps. Sure, nothing that we would experience in this day and age. (laughs) As we read through the news and we hear about the downgrading of the U.S.'s ratings in financial institutions, as we look at that reflected perhaps in our accounts of various types, this sense of things being hard and how we respond to them, either in good ways that are healthy or in ways that are not, I think that brings us to the gospel text. The disciples have been moving across the water and they're not getting anywhere. Have you ever had those dreams or those events where you're moving along and you can't get there? I had a first last night and uh, Tina's laughing, fellow uh, attendee of a wedding. Um, The unfortunate thing was is I was the one officiating the wedding. (laughs) Forty minutes late due to a brush fire closing the freeway. Those dreams that you have where you can't find the right coat, you can't unlock the door, the car runs out of gas and there's no gas station. But sometimes they're not dreams. Sometimes it's the brush fire. But sometimes it's other things. It's our health, the plans that we have for our lives that we want to be about here and now. Maybe it's the resources that we have saved for retirement. Or maybe it's our career in the sense that we should be further along than we are. Or maybe it's our schoolwork and it's harder than we feel like it should be. All of these ways in which the world's wind is on us in a way that feels like we are not getting anywhere. I want to take a quick second and separate the story for you here. Because one of the things we're inclined to do is to say, well, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus in the boat and they were scared because of the storm and he said, be still and everything got calm? That's, that's another story. <laughs> we tend to put them together because it's a boat, everything got calm. But this one's different. Think about how this one is more like our lives in many ways. Jesus is not with the disciples. He has sent them ahead. He's finally had his moment of peace after feeding the thousands that he has, after all of the healings. The disciples have been sent ahead. This is a lake that they know. This is a boat that they would have been familiar with, the one that brought them, most likely. They would have been on those waters and had been on those waters before. But it says that they were out there for hours. One afternoon to the next morning, it says. That sea is not that big. The wind must have been fierce. But there's no sense that There was something evil at work. In fact, there's no sense that the disciples were scared or concerned. They knew the lake. The sense that we get from the text is just that progress was slow. They must have been exhausted. Isn't that how life treats us sometimes? 
There are those moments that we might be afraid. Those times that we wake up in the middle of the night where we're concerned. Not to be confused with the times we wake up in the middle of the night for other reasons. But the times in which there is fear inside of us. But oftentimes it is, in fact, I think the word we often use is the grind of this life. The demands that are placed on us, the hardness, the sense of shortcoming that just wears us down. I think one place that I've experienced this weariness more than any other is just sitting in a hospital waiting room. Exhausting. And you're doing nothing. Life can do that to us. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes to them. Now they're scared when they see him. They probably have the sense that they're hanging on just barely. And this is a new variable that they're not expecting. And Jesus comes to them. And Peter asks to step out of the boat. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have asked to do that. (laughs) It's interesting, too, because we lose the rendering in the Greek. We have to use Peter's true name, Rock. The rock got out of the boat. How do you think the rock did outside of the boat? Sank like (laughs) a rock. The curious thing in the story, though, is this sense of Jesus rescuing him immediately. This very same rock that sinks, that becomes the cornerstone of the church later. The corner rock of the church. But the thing that's interesting is Jesus accuses him of not having faith. But my sense is that the faith is not in Christ. We watched a NUMA video and Rob Bell was talking about the role of a rabbi and a rabbi student. And when a rabbi called you to follow, the rabbi was saying, you can do what I can do. A sense that Peter perhaps doubted himself when he got out of the boat. I think as we bring all of these stories together, the thing that we're mindful of most is that the wind is always on us in this life. We are constantly pushed and find that it is harder to make the kind of headway that we thought we would. But in the midst of that, Christ comes to us, not in ways that we expect, not in places that we expect, but immediately lending a hand. I would encourage you in this season of uncertainty, or at least it feels like it as we read the papers and see the news, that you would be mindful that as we are brought together with Christ, our community holds us fast. And because of that, the waters that we are worried about are those same waters that bring life. Amen.